tonight we come to the close of the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's been very uh, informative and uh, very good. I, I enjoy it. Um, Paul's going to basically say to us, Paul over and out. I mean, he's done tonight, right? This is it, these 12 verses we look at. But yet there's a lot here, uh, even though it's a little bit shorter. Um, there's still some encouragement that we can take out of here tonight. So I want us to begin as we look here at chapter 16. And remember that basically in short, uh, in this short closing, Paul's giving the, uh, the basically these final instructions that recap everything he has said in the past 15 chapters. And, and so look at verse 13 and 14. This is, a, and I mean, he recaps very quickly here. Notice this machine gun fire, a uh, bunch of, of, of advice, not advice, instructions, actually imperatives that Paul gives here in verses 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now, wow, you talk about a quick, um, you know, kind of a, of a machine gun fire, as I said. That's, that's what Paul begins to close out this letter with. And it sounds, I mean, all of these imperatives, all these instructions, it almost sounds like a parent uh, as they're dropping their kids off for college, those final instructions, you know, be safe, don't do this, don't do that, right? Um, and also, though, I think more in, in, in what we should compare it to is an officer instructing his soldiers before they enter the battlefield. And that's, that's what Paul is doing for all of us down through the centuries, but especially this Corinthian church. Um, and it's fitting because I think as we just heard in our prayer that we know that things are happening in this world. We are in a battle. There's no question that, and we've known that, but it does seem like those battle lines are being drawn even more fierce than they have before. And so this is for us. This is, this is, we're here tonight. There's no accident. This is God's holy word. His Holy Spirit is here to reveal this to us. So let's take this um, for us. Be watchful. First thing he says there, be watchful. Now he's talking to a church much like ours. It's, it's Corinth is right in the middle of this metropolitan area that's very liberal. I mean, it's got so many people coming and going and different types, diversity, everything going on, different belief systems. And, and so much like today, the, this, is, this is the culture that the Corinth church is in, and it's kind of the culture that we're in today. And, and so he says, be watchful. Now that word watchful in the Greek is Gregorio. Yes, that's where my name comes from. Greg, uh, Gregorias in the Spanish and Gregorio in the Greek. Uh, it simply means watchman. Not sovereign, Frank. Watchman. I'm kidding. I appreciate that. <laughs> but no, it just it means that, 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 that we're to be vigilant. Uh, a, a, a watchman on a hill watching for somebody to sneak in, watching for something that shouldn't be happening to happen, and then sound the warning, right? So we're to be alert and aware to the sinister, shifty, devious, false teachings, false ideologies uh, that have crept into our culture and ultimately have crept into the church. That was what Paul was saying to Corinth, and that is what the Word of God is telling us today. Because it's happened. I mean, this, this idea, this, these, these ideologies that, that our forefathers would have never dreamed that even the culture at large would accept. I mean, <laughs> our forefathers would have never dreamed that a society at large would not be able, a, a Supreme Court nominee would not be able to define woman. What is a woman? and much less everything else that is going on in an insane way in our world. 
And why is that? Well, it's because of false ideologies. Doctrines of demons, if you will. Antichrist have risen and, 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 and teaching. And, and we understand for a lost society to grab those ideas and to grab that cultural you know, flavor and to begin to live according to those dictates. But the sad thing is to see it in the church. Those who claim to be bought by the blood of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and guided by the very moral law of God, his word. And yet, man, I mean, it's, it's amazing to talk to professing Christians about some of these issues that we've talked about, and they are coming out of left field with stuff. I mean, it, amazing what, what people will condone as being, quote, Christian or loving. And this happens slowly, folks. It happens slowly over decades. The enemy is sly right? He doesn't just jump in there and say, hi, I'm the devil in a bright red suit and a pitchfork, right? And flames and smoke still rolling off of him. No, it's very slow. It sounds a lot like truth most of the time. What does the Bible say? That Satan himself appears as an angel of light. And so we must be glued to the word of God. It must permeate us. It must be in our hearts. So think about how this happened over the decades, right? Consider this protest, uh, these protests that we're hearing now in the wake of this leaked Supreme Court opinion overruling Roe v. Wade. Here's some of these arguments you hear. Some of these are Christian people saying this. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, women will be forced to carry their babies to term. Oh, imagine that. Women will be forced to carry their babies to term, thereby having to endure the shame and the inconvenience of an unplanned pregnancy. Hmm. Women will be forced to endure dangerous, illegal back alley abortions. Forced. Women will lose their option for a safe and affordable solution to their problem. That's how it's termed, that's how it's packaged, right? It's a problem. To deal with. <laughs> Kamala Harris said in remarks after this leaked Roe v. Wade overturning document, women's rights in America are under attack. I love this when I'm going to rights, right? Women's rights are under attack. If the court overturns Roe v. Wade, it will be a direct assault on freedom. Fill in the blank there. The freedom to murder a child. And she went on to say, her, to respond to the, the, the overrule of Roe by saying, how dare they tell a woman what she can and cannot do with her own body? There's a, so much wrong with these statements. For one thing, we, we, we cannot shy away, folks, from answering a, a silly statement like that with the very truth, it's not one body, it's two bodies. And one of those bodies is an autonomous body. It's, 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 it's autonomy. It's an individual. <laughs> yes, you are the life support system right now, but there's two bodies here. There's, there's a human being alive in the United States of America. And folks, I'm telling you to, to me, and I believe God will obviously uh, be in favor of this according to his word, all the rights of a citizen of the United States would apply to that infant in the womb. 
They are a human being born, oh, you say they're not that, yeah, they're a human being living in this country. <laughs> in their mother's womb, yes, but they have rights. And that's where this argument falls apart. And nobody considers that. Well, I'm sure they do, but, but of course, those who are in favor want to overrule that. They want to shout down that argument. They want to distract us with all these other kind of arguments of how inconvenient it is. And, oh, oh, you know, we've got to take care of this problem in a safe manner. And you're going to force these women to have these dangerous procedures. Wow. trying to be nice who was forcing them nine months previously my body my choice let's apply that nine months previously it, it's insane to me one she went on to say Kamala Harris went on to say one party wants to expand our rights while the other wants to restrict our rights now, I am not getting political here, folks. Here's my point. Politicians, they attempt to narrow the abortion argument down to a choice about two parties. One party wants to expand our rights. One party wants to restrict our rights. That's a false dichotomy for the Christian. That, that's a false dichotomy. The concept of killing a child in its mother's womb is not about politics. It's about theology. God says that human life is sacred and that human life begins at conception. That's theology. has nothing to do with politics. It's such a smokescreen and, and a straw man to erect that in the arena, that argument in the arena of politics. And sure, we start feeling all guilty and we can't argue anymore because, oh, it's all political. Forget that. <laughs> Whatever party we line up with, is incons it's, it's inconsequential. Christians, first and foremost, must line up with, thus saith the Lord. I'm just being honest. Let me throw this out there. If a believer lives by the word of God and we live out the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, let's say, when Christ told us how to be kingdom people, loving people, serving people, standing up for just injustices. If we do live by the word of God, first and foremost, there are going to be days we look like a Democrat and days we look like a Republican. That's inconsequential. That's, I'm, I know we must have our convictions on those things, but my point is for the Christian, we are obeying God first. And if any of those parties have those convictions, that's great, but that's not our Savior. Christ is. He's our King of kings and Lord of lords. We're of his country, first and foremost. And therefore, we, we, we have to stand for his word. Therefore, it shouldn't be a question. I, I, again, uh, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. And there are multiple verses like this throughout the scriptures that make it plain. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. That's, that's what God says about human life. That's how he values the people that he created. So how dare you, for Kamala Harris, is how dare you 
speak back to the very creator of life and think you have the authority and the, quote, right to snuff it out for your selfish agenda. Okay, let's move on. Sorry, guys. More on that Sunday. But secondly, what did Paul say? First, he said, be watchful. We've got to watch, folks. Again, this, this stuff happens, and we, we fall for it very slowly. We, we are seeped in a culture that is anti-God, and we're seeping in that. Our kids are being educated in that. We watch in movies and hearing music and then in culture and the arts. And over the years, like a frog being boiled in water, we're succumbing to it. Be watchful. And then, stand firm in the faith, Paul says. Be watchful and stand firm in the faith. Now, I don't think he's talking so much there, although it does apply, could apply to your personal faith. Stand firm in your personal profession of Christ. But I believe it goes back to 1 Corinthians 15.1, where Paul said, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. The same word, stand firm in the gospel. That's the faith once delivered to the saints, the teaching of who Christ is, the Redeemer, the gospel, the transforming power of Christ. We have to stand firm in that faith. And then he says, act like men. Now, that's an interesting translation. The word means to be courageous and brave, and it's used throughout Greek as a, as, as, a, as a reference, if you will, to men. Why? Because men are generally in that society to act courageous and brave. I think men in every society, by the way, are ginger, in gener, in, you know, generally to act courageous and brave. Now, I'm not going to get on that whole thing. I just believe it does apply to all Christians. Act like men all believers, when it comes to our faith and standing for our faith, are to act courageous and to act bravely. And it's, it, the days of Christianity being just this passive thing that you can take on to maybe gain favor with people, that's done. That's over. It never was like that, folks. In the New Testament, it wasn't like that. We had these days similar to the 300s when Constantine came along and made Christianity legal and baptized everybody and said, you're now a Christian. Then everything was favorable. But through the centuries, genuine Christianity, those who die to themselves and take up Christ's cross and follow him, those who are rejected by men for the sake of Christ, die to themselves to be alive unto Christ, they suffer. And it's not easy. And it takes courage, it takes bravery to profess, I believe in Christ. Not just do I believe in a God somewhere, I believe that that Messiah died on my behalf to redeem me. And not only do I just believe that, but because he did that, I now belong to him. I'm his servant. He's my master. He's my king. He's my Lord. Therefore, that affects everything I do. And that takes courage, as we've already seen, and bravery in, in the world and culture that we live in. So Paul is telling them, he just, he, just like Corinth, they had the same problems we do. So Paul is saying, 
be watchful, stand on your faith, and it's going to take courage. It's going to take bravery. And then he goes on to add this, be strong, be strong. He said it's the same thing. It's not really the same thing. Courage, bravery to profess, and then strength to tough it out. That word strong, be strong there, means tough, robust, durable. It means that we know we're going to face criticism. We're going to face the jokes, right? Being berated, made fun of, criticized, and persecuted. So be durable. Be robust. Be like Teflon, man. It's going to bounce off. You're just going to keep on, keep it on. You're going to be, you're going to be strong. Now that's, those, those are some, those are, we need this. Those commands, be watchful, stand in your faith, be strong and courageous. We need all that. But here's the final, the final thing he says. Do it all in love. And do it all in love. And that may be the hardest thing of all. All of those adjectives, you know, strength and, you know, strong, be strong like men and courageous and brave, stand firm like a soldier, that doesn't always lend itself to and love people. So it's easy for us to get in the flesh when we think about some of this stuff. Even with what I was saying earlier, it's easy to get in the flesh and argue with people angrily. And we are to be angry at sin and unrighteousness. There is an anger there, godly anger. But yet we are commanded to be angry and sin not. How do you do that? By loving the people who you are trying to convince of truth. By loving, genuinely loving the people that we're standing up for our faith too. And uh, that's by the grace of God. The only way we can do that is to to have the grace of God. The only person who ever did that was our Savior, Christ. (laughs) He did it for us. He prayed for those despitefully crucifying him. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're, they're doing. But he prayed for his enemies. He could love them and yet disagree with them. He could love them and still correct them. And so there's where we've got to do this, folks. We're going to say, God, give me a love for that person. Because, and the only way to do that is to admit and understand that I am just as wretched a sinner as they are. My heart needs a Savior. And as Paul said, but by the grace of God, I'm marching for pro-choice myself. I'm saying my body, my choice. I'm doing that. I'm selfish. I'm taking the easy way out, the easy way out of, of, of situations because of my sin. It's only by God's grace that I'm standing for my faith in the first place. So I need to look at that person that I'm pleading with to hear the truth and love them and see a soul that unless they do repent and rest in the merit of Christ and his perfect work, they will face the wrath of God. I don't have to give them wrath. I don't have to give them anger. I'm there to rescue them. That's what we're called to be, right? Light and salt in the world. So yeah, we're strong, we're courageous, we're standing for our faith, but we're doing it in love. And really, that is what makes all the difference. 
We're not just a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. There are many churches out there, folks, that are the sounding brass, tinkling cymbals. Westboro Baptist Church, for one. You may have seen things online about those guys. Are they speaking truth? Yeah. Does God hate certain sins? He says he hates all sin. He hates all unrighteousness. Do all those who live in unrighteousness end up in hell? Yeah, the Bible says that. And yet again, we understand that that is God's business. God is that judge. And yet he's put us into this world to do the work of what? Reconciliation, Paul tells us. He's making his reconciliation plea through us as we preach the gospel. So that's our job, folks. Our job is not, by the, here's the other problem. We get so into these, these issues, right, as Christians, and we want to stand courageously strong against something that's false or something that's sinful or unrighteous. And then we get this idea that we're going to change the world. We're going to change this issue. We're going to do it ourselves. We're not called to do that. What are we called to do? We're called to be John the Baptist's. We're called to be a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, here's the gospel, here's the truth. And that's our job. We can't make people believe it, we can't make people change, but we know that. That'll give you, hey, let me give you the best advice you've ever had right here. Here it is. You can't make people do what you want them to do. There you go. Parents need to hear that, right? All of us need to hear that. We can't make people do what we want them to do. And we can teach, we can instruct, we can give truth. But at the end of the day, it's what John MacArthur called the theology of rest. And that is a theology in the sovereignty of God. God is the sovereign one who gives the increase. He's the one that gives the growth. He's the one that gives life. He's the one that gives sight. So what are we called to do then? What do we do? We're watchful. We're, we're, we're vigilant. We stand for our faith. We're courageous, we're strong, and we love people. That's what we do. <laughs> and we trust God to do the rest, and he's doing it. Look at you. Everybody here is here because God's Holy Spirit has broken into your heart through the gospel, and you now, you're now sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. You've been transferred from the, from the kingdom of darkness into his wonderful light. That's his work. All right. Having said all that, <laughs> let's continue here. We're almost, we're going to fly through this next part. Isn't that funny? The shortest verse was our longest time. Now we're going to take all these other verses and we'll be out of here in a jippity split, whatever that is. <laughs> For, verse 15 says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And, and, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I'm going to stop there just to talk about uh, Stephanus. He was one that came to visit Paul there in Ephesus. Paul's writing this letter from Ephesus, and the church there in Corinth sent uh, Stephanus, and he was been, has been a blessing to Paul. And so Paul's writing back and saying, hey, Stephanus, you know, he was one of the first ones that, that was a convert among you. Therefore, be subject to such as these and to every other fellow worker and laborer. So it sounds like Stephanus is even not just one of the first converts, but actually a leader in the church now. And so Paul is even telling the people, you can be subject to him. He may have authority over you as an elder. That may be what Paul's implying there. He goes on to say, 
I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. So here we're just reminded again of Christian brothers and sisters serving Christian brothers and sisters. This is what we're called to do. We refresh each other. God uses us to refresh each other. That's what Paul is reminding them of, that these people came in their absence. The whole church couldn't come to where Paul was, but they sent a few people in their place to minister to Paul, and, and he's grateful. Just as we as a church send people around the world, missionaries we support, and, and they are preaching God's word, preaching the gospel, carrying out the work that God has preordained them to do. But we're all a part of that. So the human side of things is, although God is sovereignly doing his plan, we're all being obedient to do our part. And as uh, Kerry said, the first great missionary to China, as he was there, there's a picture of a coloring page back there for our kids, by the way, of this, but he was the one that famously said, he'll go to, the, to India. He'll go to that place where the gospel is not heard, and it's a dark continent. It's a dark place. He'll go. He'll descend into that hole, he said, but you've got to hold the rope. The church has to hold the rope, and that's what we do, right? We're all doing our part. We're holding the rope. We're sending funds, and we're supporting that way. We're praying. We're encouraging through Facebook those missionaries that we talk to, and, and they're doing God's work as well there. So we're all part of this, is what Paul is saying. Now look at this miscellaneous greeting that he brings. So I, I've entitled this next, these verses 19 and 20, miscellaneous greetings and holy kisses, because that's what it's talking about here. Look, look what he says here in verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. And that, again, Paul's in Ephesus. He's, he's around a lot of the churches in Asia there. He, he's seeing a lot of people that he knows because Paul has done these missionary journeys. He's won many people to Christ and, and built these churches and strengthened them. So he says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Pris Priscilla, that's Priscilla there, but it's Priscilla. Same one back in Acts chapter 18. Um, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy smooch. Holy kiss, right? That's what he says. Now, there's a lot here. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, we, we know them well. Uh, Paul met them first when he first came to Corinth years ago. And uh, they, they were faithful Christians that uh, continued to serve. They actually left with Paul when he, when he left Corinth. They went on that journey with him. He left them in Ephesus. And uh, that's where they actually ran into a, a fellow named Apollos. As he was teaching and preaching, they heard him. They said, man, this guy is preaching boldly, but he, he needs a few pointers. He needs a few more theology lessons. He's almost there. So Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos. So that's who he's talking to here, Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, he says they send greetings along with all the brothers. So there's other people from other churches that are saying, hey, tell our friends in the church there hello. And then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. This has been debated um, for years in churches, especially among teenage boys. Uh, what is the holy kiss? Um, can I give that girl the holy kiss over there? You know, that kind of thing. But uh, actually, it's, 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 it's not as mysterious as we think. Many cultures, even today, still practice what we would call a holy kiss. It's a simple, it's, there's nothing sexual about it. It's, it's just a greeting, right? It's just a friendly greeting. Uh, Italy, even Asia, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure, maybe Saka would know. The kiss on the cheek when you see people. Um, I know the Italians do that, right? But there are many cultures who still just kiss on the cheek. How you doing? Good to see you. And that's literally what he's talking. We would call it a handshake, though. Our culture, handshakes. So that's where we're going to stick with that. Greet one another with a hearty handshake. 
I move to the hug, of course, you know, okay, holy hugs are good. But that's really what he's talking about here. What's that? Japanese bow, a holy bow. Cause a lot of headaches if you're too close, right? <laughs> Hit each other. Anyway, <laughs> I'm terrible, right? But the idea here, whatever that is, whatever that custom is, it's, it's, it's an intimacy in spirit. It's we are close. And I'm going to greet you, not just look at you and say, hey, how's it going? No, I'm going to come and say hi. I'm going I'm to show some kind of a, of a gesture to you that shows you I really care about you. We're connected. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And he's very sentimental, it seems to me, as he's ending this. He's, he's doing these miscellaneous greetings and letting people know that, that people love each other. Hey, they love you here in Ephesus. We're just wanting you to know. Certain friends are saying hi to certain friends and, and people who have been very special to them in the Christian faith. And then, verses 21 and 24, Paul basically says, over and out. This is Paul, over and out. I'm, I'm done. See you next time. <laughs> Verse 21. He says, I, Paul write this greeting with my own hand. That's important. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Wow. I'm telling you, Paul, he, he, it's like ADD. I don't know how much we want to believe all that, but I mean, he's, he's just a little scattered, kind of like me. I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with him. I get him. He's just shooting things out as he's thinking about him here. But he reminds something here very important. If someone has no love for the Lord, literally he's saying he is accursed. If you have no love for Christ, that means you're lost. You're cursed. I think, interesting, when I read this, I can't help but think of R.C. Sproul years ago. A woman came to R.C. Sproul's office and was just panicking about her salvation. She said, Dr. Sproul, how can I know I'm, I'm a Christian? How can I know I'm a believer? How can I know I'm saved? And he said, do you love the Lord the way you should? She said, no. To which he knew that she would say, none of us love the Lord the way we should. He said, do, do you love the, the Lord more than most people? And she said, I don't know. And that's a hard one to answer too. How do I know if I'm loving more than most other people are loving the Lord? I don't know. But then he finally said this. Let me ask you this. Do you love him at all? Do you love him at all? She said, oh, Yes. He said, I believe you're saved because you won't have a love for him unless his love for you has drawn you. What does the Bible say? We love him because he first loved us. A genuine love for the Lord that, that you do care. You, you, you want to please him. You have a desire to serve him. You have a desire to learn about him. That love, folks, again, I'm not talking about being in love with the idea of religion, being in love with the idea of a God somewhere. People would say, oh, I love God. Yeah. Now we're talking about this this intimate love for Christ that causes you to want to please him, want to learn about him, want to serve him, want to obey him. If you have any of that, that is a sign the Holy Spirit of God has broken into your heart because the natural man does not have a concern for Christ. The natural man rebels against Christ. The natural man is, is it, the light hurts his eyes, right? <laughs> Light is coming to the world, but the world does not receive it. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light until something happens, until we're changed by the gospel and our hearts have been transformed and we love him because he first loved us. <laughs> so I think it was beautiful. So, so Paul is saying here, if anyone has no love for the Lord, you're accursed. Wow. And then he says, 
Or our Lord come, our Lord come. Just like John said, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, come quickly. And then he says, so he's signing off so many ways here, right? Then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And that's how we close tonight. Amen. With Paul's admonition to love Christ with all of our heart. And may his grace be with us. And may he come quickly. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the light that it shines in this dark world. And and, and we thank you, Father, that though the paths are very tricky to navigate in this world because of wrong ideologies that sound right sometimes, because of false teachers, and because of our sinful hearts, it's hard to know which way to go. But Father, you in your sovereignty have given us a light unto our path. Thy word, O Lord, is a light unto our path. We thank you, Father, for that. Help us to apply your word tonight. Let it comfort us. Let it strengthen us. Let it cause us to be watchful. Let it cause us to stand firm in the faith. Let it cause us to be courageous and strong. And above all, let it cause us to love. To love in the name of Christ. And we pray all these things in his name and for your glory. Amen.